0: G'day, you're listening to Shaw Walker on Reports, a podcast about creating better public reports. We talk with experts about how to create these documents that explain complex issues to a wide audience. You may be in government, in a non-government organisation or in a business, but if you create public reports, this podcast may be for you. The podcast comes from Australian editorial consulting firm Shawwalker DMS, which helps organisations to make reports better. This episode of Shawwalker on Reports focuses on someone who's had a real influence on how economic reports to government get written in Australia, former Productivity Commission Chair Gary Banks. Before his career at the Productivity Commission, Banks worked as an economist at the GATT Secretariat in Geneva, as a director in the Office of National Assessments in Canberra, as a visiting fellow at the Trade Policy Research Centre in London, and as projects manager for the Centre for International Economics in Canberra. He joined the Productivity Commission's predecessor, the Industry Commission, in 1990, and in 1998 became its founding chair. Gary Banks ran the commission until 2012 and he established a reputation for being willing to push governments, particularly the Labour governments of Kevin Rudd and Julia Gillard. The Labour Treasurer who took the brunt of his advice was Wayne Swan, whose top advisor Jim Chalmers is now himself Treasurer. We began our discussion with Gary recounting the role that reports have played in his career. So I've had a career that that started with the Tariff Board, which did
1: reports on tariffs and ended up as Chairman of the Productivity Commission that did reports on almost everything, you know. So so my involvement in reports followed the evolution of that institution. But also I've worked for research agencies internationally and, and I've worked in consultancy. Um, I've worked as a consultant myself, individual consultant. And it's always about reports of one kind or another. So... It's sort of a natural thing for an economist to end up doing, is writing a report. Um, uh, And the sort of reports that I've written typically have had recommendations at the end of them, or findings that would inform policy.
0: These days, Banks describes himself as simply an economist and commentator, but he remains an influential voice in the Australian economic debate. He continues to think about how that debate should be conducted and about the place of the Commission's reports in it. And he thinks the space for reports and studies is growing.
1: When I was at the Productivity Commission, it was noticeable to me that the attitude of of departments of state changed towards having the Productivity Commission working on their patch so, in the early days, they jealously guard anything to do with the policy you know, that they would be advising on the minister. And in the latter stages, they were more unlikely to, to encourage the commission to do work that would help them in their own task of, of coming up with policy advice. And I think that was partly to do with, I suppose, greater trust in the institution and that it could do a good job for whatever reason that, that came about. But also partly I think their capacity to do the research, particularly more technical research, was diminished. And so I think with, with the rise of the generalist, there's been a, a bit of a, a cost in terms of having specialists who can write the technical kind of analytical work um, that that departments increasingly need. So I think, I think that's a, an important reason why... You know, we're seeing more reports being commissioned um, than we might have in the early days, but also, I mean, there are more. There are more uh, places to go if you're seeking to have such studies done externally to your organisation, whether it's a department or a private sector organisation. That's become a part of the of the environment that was not all that strong in the early days um, when there weren't many think tanks or consultancies or, and the accountants, uh, the big accounting firms just did accounting, you know, they didn't do, do the sort of consulting work. So, yeah, I, I think, I, I, so I do think there's a bigger place um, both on the demand side and the supply side for, for studies and reports that can be used to influence uh, uh, events and, and thinking uh, and so on.
0: I asked Banks whether he thinks reports are becoming more important to the public policy process.
1: I think they are, and I think it, 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 um, it reflects the fact that there's probably less trust, less acceptance uh, uh, of governments than there used to be... Um, I mean, when they do surveys of trust in different um, institutions, you know, politicians don't rate highly, generally. So I think if a politician says, I think this, this is the best way to go, trust me, it's it's less likely to get currency and, and, and have an effect and influence than if he or she says, a report has been done by this eminent institution or person which... I'm going to adopt because I think it makes sense and and gives the arguments from that. So I think people, uh, even though experts themselves have come under fire a little bit, I think if a study has been well done, um, particularly if it's a study that's involved public engagement and so on and had a draft report, then a government is better able to, I think, prosecute a reform agenda or a policy agenda than if they don't have something like that to use. So where can public reports make the biggest difference? Public reports are particularly important, I think, when there's a contentious issue, right, because you'll have... The the politics will be tougher. Getting a preferred policy option through by definition will be harder. So the more that the public has been brought along with the process of, of reaching a policy conclusion and recommendation, the better. And so I think um, I think, you know, that's that's a very important reason for having a public report, uh, in a sense to bring people along and get get a bit more of a meeting of minds than might otherwise have mm-hmm. occurred. A second part of the answer to that question relates to the fact that undertaking a a, a public report of various kinds, a public study, can be quite expensive, can be time-consuming, can demand quite a lot of the participants. And so you don't want to do it for things that aren't significant. You you want to do it for things that are ideally not only contentious, but quite complex, and, and where that kind of engagement and process will have a big payoff uh, or put it the other way, if you got if you got the wrong answer, you'd find that um, the costs were quite high. So unfortunately, you know we've seen over time you know policy decisions made without that kind of process, which prove the point you know that they have involved costs, sometimes they've had to be they policies that have had to be withdrawn after a short period of time. Mm. I mean you think about, for example, the the export ban on live cattle to Indonesia. Right. which happened after a four-quarters program. So within two days of that program, or within three days, a decision was made to ban live cattle exports to Indonesia because it looked like they were being maltreated uh, in the abattoirs in Indonesia. Um, that had to be reversed, and that wasn't based on anything other than the sentiment, really, um, in the sense that it would be good politics, but the costs were very high, and in the end they had to come to another way of dealing with the problem. So I think the more significant the, the issue, uh, the more contentious, the more important it is to have that kind of you know,
0: systematic approach. Banks has warned of the increasing tendency for policy players to invent or manipulate data to suit a predetermined position. But he also points out that reports can fight that tendency because they put on the record the stated reasons for policy and let those reasons be examined. I think it's uh, a
1: natural tendency. I mean, a chap called Darrell Huff wrote a book years ago called How to Lie with Statistics. (laughs) I was in first year at at Monash University, and I thought this was outrageous, you know. But he was making a point, and that is, you know, you can manipulate statistics, uh, and you've heard the concept of policy-based evidence, you know, so... The whole process of research and evidence can be debauched, you know, if it's used in the wrong way. So, and it does it does happen, um, and it's a natural tendency, and it's a natural political tendency, I think, you know, to do that. And another reason for having studies that are public is that a study, if it's done well, will show the bigger picture based on the broader data so that... If, if uh, for example, a minister or um, a senior executive in a company or whatever chooses to cherry-pick and manipulate the data, the evidence is there and journalists and others can go to that uh, or, or others who have a different view can go to that and use it. So, you know, one of the functions of a, of a study, if it has shelf life, is it can remain there, in a sense, uh, to prevent, you know, to prevent... Uh, You know, uh, data being misused or uh, just um, manipulated in ways that that would be, you know, would be wrong from a policy point of view, even though politically they may have, um, you know, it may have attractions.
0: By now, you may think that Gary Banks has been pretty motivated to seek good public policy outcomes. So, where does that motivation come from? Probably comes from being trained as an
1: economist, I think, or at least in the era that I was. I was trained and and reading uh, books that you know are essentially about public policy and how you get good public policy and why good public policy matters. So, you know, economists are really, in a sense, you know, optimisers and they're people who think about costs and benefits and trying to get the best outcomes. There's an old word, utility, which is not used anymore, but it's about maximising, you know, the wellbeing of, of the community. And so I think that kind of training, um, you know, leads you in that direction. And then I've always worked for institutions whose job it was to really promote the public interest you know we never talked about it in exactly those terms but that's really what his job was and um and in that role you just see that there are so many forces that are favoring private interests or certain special interests that you know the, you know ha- having some people working on the public interest is a pretty good thing to do you know And it's interesting that um, the people I worked with had that sort of view as well. So, um, yeah, so I I think you're right. I I have been, I don't use the term passionate about myself, but it's been a particular interest of mine, you know, to try to push the case for better public policy, you know, throughout my life. And I've had some successes and some failures, but, you know, that's the way it goes. I'm pleased that you're doing this project, actually, David, because I, I think, as I said earlier, there's a greater need for well-produced reports that can inform decisions uh, than ever. And um, I think we're, we're in a world where, you know, rushing to judgment, being under pressure to, to come up with an answer quickly is ever-present. And um, so opportunities to you know, to do something, to, to give a bit more thought, to write something out at length um, and to build credibility for a strategic or policy decision, I think are really, really important, uh, as, as important as ever. And that in turn means that doing that well, understanding how to do a good job is really important, is probably as important as ever as well. Um, in fact, in some ways, people may be less... May, may be less inclined or less trained than they used to be to work in that way because I think technology these days is more about Zoom meetings than it is about necessarily about you know analysis and writing and and building the evidence base for things.
0: I wondered whether the rise of the internet has given reports more value by making them more accessible and with search engines potentially extending their lifespan.
1: Yeah I I think that would have to be the case. I mean for a start anyone who's who's doing uh, work in an area that's relevant to that report will easily find the report even if they didn't know it existed it will pop up in a google search so just recently i'm i'm, I'm doing something on uh doing some work on uh, whitlam's uh, creation of the Industries assistance commission right so I look up Whitlam slash IAC and up comes a number of nice things that have been done, you know, including PhD theses that have been written and that. So I think there's no doubt that the internet has um, has just increased the power of a, of a report. You know, it's not gathering dust in the National Library alone, you know. It's, it's available to anybody who has an interest in as long as it's on a server somewhere. Um, and it's amazing how many servers these things end up being on. So I do think that is uh, that is important, and the search engines now are so much more refined than they used to be, that things can be can be tracked down. Um, it it also means that um, just physically you don't have the burden of a big heavy report you know to lug around with you. You can go from uh, in the days when you could fly freely from Melbourne to Brisbane, uh, you could take your laptop, and there was the whole world of reports available to you anytime you wanted them. So that, that's fantastic, I think.
0: So far, we had talked about public sector reports. What was the difference in approach that banks took when working with private sector clients?
1: Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good question. So um, working as a consultant uh, in the private sector, but having public sector and private sector clients, the challenge really, uh, I found, was to get agreement on the project in a way that would allow, it gets back to my earlier point, you know, would allow us to do what we thought was a good job, a thorough job, um, and not be unduly constrained in doing that. And sometimes it was a matter of convincing the, the, um, the client that you know this was worth doing and it would be in the client's longer-term interest to have a proper job rather than the one that was seen as being too self-serving to the client. So that that issue of having a client who had specific needs was probably the differentiating factor between the work I did in in the private sector and what I did when I was working for the Commission, where we if we thought of of a client, it was obviously the the treasurer and the government, but more broadly it was you know society at large or the citizenry you know who we were doing the report for or the Parliament, I suppose you know, which is a different thing. Um, and provided you got the report um, specifications um, to your liking early on, that was okay. I think we in the private sector the, the, it's much more challenging to to manoeuvre yourself to have enough um, you know enough scope to do what you think needs to be done and keep the client on side. You know that can be a but that's part of the skill I think of of people working in that area that. Um, you you deliver a product that the client likes but it might be a slightly different product than the one they thought they were going to get when when the process started
0: so those are gary banks thoughts on the role of reports in the second part of our gary banks interview we'll explore the task of actually producing reports in the meantime can I make this request? You've found this podcast interesting enough to make it all the way to this sign-off, so please consider subscribing and giving us a rating in Apple Podcasts or your other podcast software. That will help the podcast get better known. And if you need to create better reports, you can hire us to help you get it done right. I'm David Walker, and I run Australian editorial consulting firm, Shaw Walker DMS. Shawwalker DMS produced this podcast, and we help organisations to make reports better. You can find more ideas like these at our website, shawwalker.net, and to talk to us confidentially, without obligation, you can contact us through the contact form at shawwalker.net. Take care.